seems so Bob. <laughs> but, but because I think it does a really good job revealing to us the truth that a lot of, ex a lot of us experience when we talk about sharing our faith, right? Some of us get nervous. Some of us get overly analytical and, and, and specific. Um, some of us don't really know what to say. Some of us refer to a manual or a, a clear script that some of, someone has given us over the years, or we just don't feel equipped, so we send them on to someone else. But the way that skit ends, I love, and that's really what the scripture shows us this morning, is that the best way to share Jesus is by naturally talking about the excitement that you have for what Jesus has done for you, right? That's what Bob talked about the first week in our series at the center. He talked about sharing the story of what Jesus has done for us. Do we know our story? Have we been captured by the gospel? And last week, Greg talked about those of us who have been captured by the gospel, have been moved from unreconciled at odds with Christ to reconciled and have been given the ministry to go out and reconcile others to Jesus, to bring the good news of our story out. And today, we're going to look in the gospel and in the good news of 1 Peter 3, if you want to turn there now, and we're going to see how we do that. How, after the last two weeks about talking about we have a story and we have the gospel and we're called to share, how exactly we do that. Because we don't want to be vacuum salesmen, right? <laughs> we don't need to be vacuum salespeople. We don't need to sell Jesus. We simply need to live authentically and share the story of what Jesus has done for us. I wonder how many of us get nervous, feel uncomfortable, or maybe like Greg said last week, shrink back a little bit when we start talking about sharing our faith. Have any of you ever felt that way, maybe unprepared or, yeah, a few of us, okay, many of us, I would guess. That's understandable. Today we're gonna address some of those fears and some of those concerns, but before we turn to our scripture this morning, I wanna talk about another reason it's really important for us to look at how we are called to faithfully and authentically share our faith. The Barna Research Group recently did a study that showed that almost half of practicing Christian millennials, my generation, hey oh millennials, half of practicing Christian millennials hold the belief that it is morally wrong to share your faith in Jesus with someone of a different faith, hoping that they would get to know the Lord. Half of my generation, and I'm sure many other generations of Christians believe it is wrong to share our faith. How does this happen? Church, how do we, the people of God, who have been changed by what Jesus did for us, who have life-changing news to go out with, somehow believe that it is wrong to tell the good news and our story of Jesus Christ? And I think part of the reason, if we look deeper, has a lot to do with what this vacuum salesman did, right? That for a long time, the church hasn't been great at the way we've shared the good news of Jesus. It hasn't been very authentic, and sometimes it comes off as extremely damning. I went to Grand Valley State University, and uh, there was this portion of campus that I had to walk through all the time to get to my classes. And often when you walked through that portion of campus, you would be face-to-face, -face, I wanna say assaulted, that seems extreme, but it felt like assaulted by the campus preachers. These were people that came to campus week in and week out and stood up on literal soapboxes as 
unsuspecting students passed and went to their classes and they would point at specific students in the crowd, students they knew absolutely nothing about, and they would say, you're going to hell! Insert reason here. You're going to hell for drinking. You're going to hell for this. You're going to hell for that. And that was the way they did evangelism. <laughs> evangelism talks about sharing the good news, right? That's not what I would call evangelism. That's not what I would call sharing the good news. But I think so many of us are nervous to share or the millennial generation especially feels it's wrong to share because of the way we've seen this done in the world. But this is not the picture of sharing our faith. This is not the picture of evangelism that we get when we open God's word. When we look at Jesus' life in the New Testament and we see the way he went out with the good news. When we see him commission his disciples and say, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Go and make disciples of all nations. This isn't what Christ was thinking of. This wasn't the way we were commanded to go share. So this morning, we're digging into 1 Peter 3 to find out how. How do we do this in a way that honors God and brings a good name back to our Lord Jesus Christ? So turn with me this morning to 1 Peter 3, brothers and sisters. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13. Let's read the word of the Lord together. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And this is good news. This is a beautiful reminder that we get from Peter, Peter who followed after Jesus and saw the way the good news was spread, Peter who was commissioned. He tells us how we are to go about authentically sharing our story, sharing the good news of Jesus with the world around us. And this morning, we're going to look at five different things that we can glean from Peter's list of how-tos of sharing the faith. So number one, we're going to jump right in. The first way that Peter teaches us to share the gospel is with words. With words spoken from our mouths. So many of us, so many times the church has been really good at serving. How many of you are comfortable with serving? Going out and painting someone's house or mowing someone's lawn or helping out on one of the mission trips, right? These are great things to do. In fact, Christ has called us to let our good deeds shine before others to point them to Jesus. We think of serving and, and we need to live with that, that demeanor of Michigan nice all the time, right? Michiganders were really nice people most of the time. But serving and being Michigan nice on its own is not enough to point someone to Jesus. It's not enough on its own. One of my favorite pastors and authors, Kevin Harney, 
He wrote the book Organic Outreach. We talk about that book a lot at Orchard Hill. I was at a gathering with him and some other pastors in November, and he said something that really struck me. He said, no one in my life has ever approached me and said, you know, Kevin, I've watched you for years. And just by watching you, I learned about the reality of sin in my life, the free grace of Jesus, and the truth of the Trinity. <laughs> and what Kevin is getting at, I think, is really critical for us this morning. As much as Christ has called us to good deeds, to be kind, the way we love to be Michigan nice, that has never told anyone the truth of the gospel. Saying, have a nice day, and being a kind person at the drive-thru has never told anyone of our helpless state in sin without Jesus. Painting someone's fence because they're disabled has never told someone of the free gift of grace that is offered through Jesus Christ on the cross through faith. Brothers and sisters, yes, we are called to serve and to be kind, but if we do that without words, we have missed the point. This was Jesus's, Jesus's paradigm as well. He would go out and yes, Jesus did miracles. Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus cast out demons and he healed others. But he always did it speaking the truths of God. The miracles, the signs never came on their own just for the sake of doing them. They served to support the good news that Jesus was testifying to with his words, with his mouth, with his teachings. We too are to follow the example of Jesus and let our deeds, our good, our good deeds and the way we live be done in tandem with the words that come from our mouth to point people to Jesus. This is further indicated if you look at the Greek words in this. It's really interesting, actually. In this verse 15 that we just read, always be prepared to give a reason. The Greek word used here for, for answer he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The Greek word here for answer means a verbal defense, speech in defense of, or a reasoned statement. You can't get away from words there, can you, friends? <laughs> and if you go on where it says, give the reason for the hope that you have, that Greek word is logos. That word is defined as of speech, a word uttered by a living voice, what someone has said. Fairly clearly here, we can see that Jesus is calling us, Peter is imploring us to use our words, not just to be nice people and do nice things, because if that's where it begins and ends, how in the world is that ever going to point someone to the truth of Jesus Christ? But those things served as a witness in tandem with our words, in tandem with us saying, this is why I do those things, because of the good news of Jesus Christ that I have received. That is when the power is there. Peter calls us to bring the good news using our words. The second way that we see from Peter that we are to share the gospel is to do so preparedly. In verse 15, look with me at it again. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared. 
Be prepared to tell someone with words why the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed your life. Are you prepared? Are you ready, church, to testify to what Christ has done? I think sometimes we're not. I can speak that for myself, too. And it's not because we don't know every single piece of scripture. I hear people that tell me that all the time when they're talking about fears or not being ready to share their faith. Well, I, I, don't, I haven't read through the whole Bible yet. Or I, I'm just not sure about all this substitutionary atonement thing. But the reality of sharing our faith is we don't have to know the whole scripture in order to be able to share our testimony, to do what Peter says, to give the reason for the hope that we have. Yes, it's important to know our Bibles. It is vitally important. We could talk about that all day. But in order to be able to share the reason for your hope, you just have to know the gospel. You just have to know what Jesus has done for you. And if you know what Jesus has done for you, and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a story to tell. You know enough to share why you have hope, brothers and sisters. If you know enough to say yes to following Jesus, you know enough to share the gospel and to share your testimony. Christians, we have spent, so many of us, especially those who, who grew up in the church, we have spent years and years in Bible studies. We spent years and years in discussions about the minutia and the fun details of our faith. We've spent years sitting in the pews and listening to messages. You know the gospel. You know the word. But what Peter is imploring us, commanding us to do, isn't just to hear it and to know it, but be prepared to share it with others. Preparedness in and of its nature is not something that just happens circumstantially. Being prepared takes intentionality. It takes time. Sacrifice and dedication. Prayer is paramount. We are called to be intentional people as we prepare to share the good news of the gospel. Kurt and I, at the end of January, went on vacation to Florida. We went to Orlando, and our plan was to spend the week relaxing by the pool. And that did not happen because the week we were there was like in the 40s and rainy the whole week. So when our plans of sunbathing were squashed, we decided, I think it was Tuesday, we decided we'd spend a day at Disney on Thursday. And let me tell you what I learned. Most people don't decide two days ahead of time that they're going to do a day at Disney. Maybe some of you know this. Some of you Disney preppers know about this. But we got there thinking we were just going to roll in and see how the day went as the dillies in our chill, relaxed way. We planned a wedding in three months. That should tell you something about us. We, we're not really into this plan ahead thing. We're more like, hey, let's roll with it and see what happens. So we roll up to Disney, plenty early what we thought. There were already massive lines of people in line waiting just to get into the park. Not even in line for rides, but just to get into the park. We learned after talking with some of the people that we love that are just wild about Disney that most Disney planned trips start planning over a year ahead of time. Not two days, over a year ahead of time. 90 days in advance, you can make your dining reservations. I found this online. This is like something you can buy and download to plan your day at Disney. 
We were baffled and overwhelmed at how much work these families put in. They had what rides they wanted to ride at what time, down to a science. They knew which trash can they were gonna sit by before the parade started because it blocked the light, no one else would sit by them, and they knew they had to be there at 8.45 a.m. if they wanted to get a seat. We just kind of rolled in and figured out what was going on. Families take planning for Disney seriously. And we learned that on our trip. Granted, we had a great time, but it was wild to see what was going on around us. And it made me wonder, as I was prepping for this and, and thinking about our trip, it made me wonder if the entire church of Orchard Hill, the entire church of Jesus Christ was as intentional and prepped and planned for knowing how we were going to share the gospel with those in our lives as these intense, I'll call them intense, Disney families were about planning their Disney vacations, how different the world might be, how different our conversations with others might be, how different our relationships with the world might be, how intentional and fruitful things might turn out. Brothers and sisters, being prepared isn't a suggestion, it's a command. Can you imagine if we were all this prepared for the next time God opened a door for us to share the gospel? how things might be different, how life might be brought, how fruit might come from those conversations. We are called to be prepared. And this could look different in a million ways. And I wanna encourage you this week to think about what it might look for you to live prepared. Maybe you go to the same coffee shop every week. Maybe it's time for you to be kind and intentional and get to know that barista. And maybe you're planning and prepping for the day when that barista looks at you and says, you're always so joyful and kind to me. What's different about you? Or they make an offhanded comment on, man, I wish all my customers were as gracious as you are. What if you had planned and prepped and expected that and you were ready with an answer for why you are the way you are when Michelle, your barista, in the passing credit card exchange happened to ask you offhand? What if you were ready and prepared to tell Michelle about what Jesus had done for you, knowing you were only gonna have about 15 seconds? What if you were planning and praying for that day? And God led you to say, Michelle, I'd love to talk to you more about this when you have time. Can you imagine if all of us were planning and praying and prepping for conversations like that? What the world might be like if the church of Jesus Christ was ready and excited to go out with words, prepared to share the good news of Jesus when he opened the door for us to have that opportunity. The third way that Peter reveals to us that we are to share the gospel is really in the subtext of these verses. So I want to read verse 15 together again. I know we're kind of living there, but it really is the theme verse of our day. Let's read verse 15 again. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give a reason to who? Everyone who what? Asks you. Be prepared to give a reason, an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope you have. This hit me like a ton of bricks this week as I was prepping for this message. Because Christians, what this insinuates is that we are going to be asked on a regular basis why we are 
the way we are. Someone is going to look at the church of Jesus Christ, is going to look at you as you go through your day-to-day life, and they're going to see something so radically counterculturally different that they just have to ask and say, why are you the way you are? What's up with you? You're different. You're weird. You're joyful. You're hopeful. You're, you're gentle. You're respectful. Something is different about you. In the subtext, Peter is revealing to us that the way we share Jesus is by living so radically counterculturally that the world can't help but say, what's going on? I gotta know. When something is normal in our culture, people don't tend to stop and say, hmm, I wonder why that is the way it is. It's the usual, it's normal, it's expected, right? When someone walks up to me and they have two brown eyes, I don't stop and go, hmm, why do you have two brown eyes? That's normal. The majority of the world's population, almost 75%, have brown eyes. But if someone was to walk up to me with complete heterochromia, which looks like this, two eyes that are completely different colors, that's beautiful. I've never seen that before. Maybe you have, but it's very rare. It's different. If they were to walk up to me and I would see that, I would, in a very correct way, (laughs) but nice, not rude, say, wow, your eyes are beautiful. What is that? Why are they so different? I've never seen anything like that, right? Wouldn't you say that to someone that, that walked up to you like that? This is the picture that we get of what Peter is calling us to do, the way we live, the way we share the gospel, by living so counterculturally that people look and go, something's different here. And I gotta know, it's beautiful. I, I gotta know what's going on. This is the church, this is the picture that we get of the early church in Jesus' day, Right? We read about them, we hear about them, we talk about them all the time. They were living so radically counterculturally. They were so in love with Jesus that they had completely turned their backs on the things of the world and pursued Christ for everything he was and lived the way they called him, them to live because of their love for Christ. And the world noticed. The world said, why? And he said, well, let me tell you about my Jesus. And church, I can't help but wonder, are we living that radically counterculturally that we are being asked on a regular basis, why are you so different? Have we abandoned, like the early church, the things of the world so thoroughly and run after the satisfaction and love we have found in my Jesus and the things of his kingdom that we look different? Or are we trying to keep our favorite parts of the Jesus way of life and our favorite parts of the world and meld them in such a way that we really just look like everybody else. I wonder why we're not being asked, I'm not being asked nearly as often as I'd like, why I am the way I am, why do you have the hope that you have? And I think there's two answers for that for us. I would venture to guess anyway. I think the first answer is is hard, but maybe we look a little bit too much like everybody else. Maybe we have, whether we realize it or not, melded our, our, our walk with Jesus with the things of this world. And because of that, we just look a little too similar to everyone. We don't walk with the same joy. We don't walk with a distinct hope. And those things of the world that we love are actually pulling us away from looking more like Jesus and and living in his freedom in such a way that the world says, why? And I think the other reason we maybe don't get asked as often as I know I would like to be asked is because we have surrounded ourselves 
with so many Christians. But there's not room for those who don't know Jesus in our time, in our schedule, in our lives. So often when I talk to people in the church about sharing their faith, what they tell me is, everybody I know in my life is already a Christian. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that, right? First of all, kudos. Like, it's awesome that God has given us such a cool Christian community that we have so many people in our lives that are walking with us, supporting us, mentoring us, that we are surrounded by God's people. Don't take that gift for granted. That is awesome. But brothers and sisters, I want to push you because dollars to donuts, there is someone in your life, in the spheres of your influence you're already walking in, in your work life, at the gym, at your class, on your team, somewhere you go to socialize. There are people there who don't know Jesus. Maybe you just need to step outside your inner circle and ask God to give you eyes to see who they are. I can guarantee somewhere, somehow, you are interacting on a regular basis with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And if you aren't, get out more. Get out more. Go find somewhere to volunteer. You got skills, use them somewhere where you know people don't know Jesus. Your kid's on a soccer team. Go get to know the families on your kid's public school soccer team. Go be a a really faithful attender at a local restaurant. Go there every time you go out to eat, get to know the same staff and share the gospel with them. Brothers and sisters, we should be living so counterculturally and surrounded by people don't, don't know Jesus that we are constantly being asked, what in the world is up with these Orchard Hill people? I'm not sure about them, but they've got something different and I want it. We should be living so counterculturally that people are asking us the reason for the hope that we have. Amen. Four, the fourth thing we learn from Peter and how we go out and share the gospel is having counted the cost. Look with me at verse 17, will you? Verse 17, Peter says, It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. We know through the testimony of Scripture, through these words we just read from Peter, that when we are obedient to follow Jesus Christ, to testify to who our Jesus is, and to share his good news, We are going to suffer. If you're going to live counterculturally, if you're going to bring a message out into the world that the enemy hates, he doesn't want to see people freed. He doesn't want to see addictions broken. He doesn't want to see death become life. We know we are going to face opposition. We have seen it in God's word. We have experienced it in our own lives. And brothers and sisters, Peter is telling us we need to be ready and aware to count the cost that we may pay when we share the gospel. In John 20, Jesus warned his disciples of the suffering they would bear because of his name, because they took the gospel out. He says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Publicly sharing the name of Jesus will cost you much. And if we have not counted the cost before we go out and face paying that price, if we are going out and and facing the time to pay the price without being prepared for it, we may shrink back. Shrink back and avoid sharing the gospel 
Avoid proclaiming the hope we have in Jesus, which, brothers and sisters, I shake in my boots to think that any of us would turn our back on Jesus. We need to know and be prepared to count that cost. Revelation 12, 11 shows us this beautiful picture. This is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. We see the picture right before this verse is read of what's to come in the future when Satan and his, his fallen angels will be cast out of heaven. And then we hear a loud voice from heaven saying, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The voices, the voice, what he is describing and the, when it says they overcame him, he is talking about those who have given their lives to share the gospel. This is a beautiful remembrance of those who have said, no, I don't care what it costs me. I am so in love with Jesus. I know that this is the only good news that saves that I will keep testifying and keep testifying and keep testifying to the good news of what Jesus has done for me. And they testified to the point of their death. This is a beautiful remembrance of those that gave their lives for telling the good news of Jesus. And what is said about them? They are lifted up. And it says they loved Jesus so much, they refused to shrink back. It says they loved their, they, um, I'm sorry, I want to get this right. It says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. They went out and shared the gospel, knowing what it would cost them. But they knew ahead of time and had committed to paying whatever price came because Jesus was worthy. And the gospel was worthy. And the gospel is the only new good news that can save. And it actually says at the end of those, in, in that verse, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Think about that. Jesus' blood that died on the cross is actually grouped with the testimony of the saints. How cool would that be? <laughs> to be grouped in with the blood of Christ that says they overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. That the church testified to the good news of the gospel so much, it is grouped in and saying they overcame him by the blood of Jesus Christ and by sharing the good news of what he had done. How cool is that? They had counted the, the, the cost and they said God is worthy. This good news is the only news that saves and I will go out and share it no matter what. Brothers and sisters, that's our call and that's what Peter is saying, count the cost. Know the price you may pay and be ready. Are you ready to share the gospel and lose a friend over it? Are you ready to share the gospel and lose a job promotion over it? Are you ready to share the gospel and lose your own sense of comfort or your personal safety over it? When we go out knowing the costs and ready to pay for them, we are much more likely to stand in the joy of the good news of Jesus and press on no matter what the devil brings our way while we share the good news. And finally, the last thing that we see from Peter and how we go out and share the good news is that we share the good news with the expectation of victory. Brothers and sisters, look with me one last time at the end of verse 18. Actually, we'll start at the beginning. Verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all, for the righteous, for the unrighteous. He was put to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. 
This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, when we go out and share the good news, when we have experienced what Jesus has done and we have put our faith in him, we go out with the good news that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And we know whatever we face down the road, nothing changes the fact that in Jesus we have the ultimate victory. There is nothing we're going to face in this world that God has not already overcome, that he has not already had the victory in. So we know where we're headed, and we know where we're going, and this is how we go out. We go out with the good news, with the news of our Jesus who is so worthy, who has overcome in such a way that we have to tell about it. There are a lot of people in this world right now who don't know Jesus. Maybe you know some of them. I do. I know a lot of them. And I love them very much. And brothers and sisters, I can tell you this call from Peter today, this reminder of victory encourages me, pushes me on to go and share and live and speak and demonstrate and sacrifice so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so that one day in light of that victory, it won't just be us standing there, but it will be a bigger picture of the church. Those that maybe aren't brought in yet because they haven't heard the gospel. Those people that I think of that I love, that I want to receive Jesus. When we go out with the good news and they say, yes, the church of Jesus Christ grows. And the picture of those standing in victory at the end, marching with God forever in his victory, grows bigger and brighter. And brothers and sisters, that's what we live to see. The gospel shared, knowing that the victory is already won in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, I just want to give us some time and space for us to reflect and ask the question, how might God be calling us to go out today and to live that good news, to share that good news to the world around us? What are one of those five things that Peter showed us in his how-tos of sharing the gospel that maybe just one of those things we can keep in our minds and on our hearts this week as we go out to naturally, authentically, and joyfully share the good news of what our Jesus has done for us. So we're just, I just want to invite you to just take one minute to, to process this with the Lord and to ask him how we can go out and share the gospel this week. Father God, it is our prayer that we, your people, would be so enthralled with your love, so filled with your joy, that we go out from this place 
from meeting here with you week after week. And we would go out excited to share the good news of what you, our Jesus, have done for us. What you offer to do for anyone who would believe in your name. God, equip us. Equip us to know how to do that. When we look and we see the world hating on Christians and the enemy pushing against us, God, encourage us. Remind us of your love for us. Remind us that you alone are worthy. And give us joy and excitement to go out and bring the good news to the lost, the curious, the hopeless in this world who are desperately waiting to hear of this Jesus and how he has changed our lives. God, we go out knowing that you have the victory, that the victory is won in your name and in your blood, and that for all who say yes to putting their faith in Jesus, all who say yes to receiving